You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond, your favorite podcast for gaming, both on the tabletop and beyond. So I'm here with my friend, Jason. What's going on, everybody? And we are missing Dan for tonight. He is prepping for a big move himself, and yep. so he just couldn't make it, which is totally understandable. Totally. You were there recently, weren't you, Jason? I was, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So can't hold anything against him. Nope, absolutely not. Dan, we miss you. We can't wait to have you back. Yeah, and thanks for taking all my boxes. <laughs> oh, did he really? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay, um, so how was your Geek Week, Jason? Good, man. Uh, so uh, had had a lot of fun. Actually, my wife and I finished uh, the last episode of the last most recent season of The Last Kingdom. Uh, no spoilers, because I'm like 30 minutes away from ending it. Okay, no spoilers. But <laughs> this is a really good series if you like brutal combat, like Viking-esque combat. Yeah. Um, and good choreography, too, man. You know, like the fighting feels real. It doesn't feel like these people are using tactics that they wouldn't have mm-hmm. at that time period. Uh, there's also, you know, there's a good good bit of romance for the, uh, you know, for the ladies in there and the guys, I guess. But, um and also, uh, I mean, Utrecht you know, is a guy that gets around a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think what's interesting about this show is I didn't realize that back in that time period that uh, guys wax their butts. But uh, you know, I guess they do. <laughs> There's there are a few butt shots in this series, and what it you, t- know, you know, that's a really good point. When he when <laughs> there was a point where we saw full rear nudity. Oh yeah. Of Utrid, right? And, uh, there's uh, been a couple times. Yeah, but there's one in particular in this time, right? Yeah. And uh-huh. as he's uh, stepping into the tank of water, he uh, is very hairless. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, I don't think I've ever been that hairless. I don't think I've ever been that chiseled either. <laughs> chiseled, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's a Viking, he is, you know, well, yeah. King David, you know, a, a Viking David. Kind of a Dane. He's a mix. And that's the beauty of the series is that you've got this guy who lives, you know, the the series is all about the Danes and the, uh, I guess it's a mix of Saxons. Saxons. Danes and the Saxons, yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of a mix of people. And Anglos and Britons and Welsh. Yeah. And the series is all about, you know, basically the fight between Christians and uh, the uh, kind of God, God's fearing Danish that Mm -hmm. come with, uh, with their religion. Uh, to try to take the lands from the Christians. Uh, and what I love about it is this, the main character, Uhtred, is... What's his last name? Uh, Uhtred of Babin... Babincourt. Babincourt. Anyways, Bevenport. he's this... Yeah, he's this dude who grew up... Um, he was born uh, He was born in, in, the, in the Christian world, but um, the Danes basically conquered his land and took him prisoner as a little boy. And so he was actually raised... Um, he was raised in kind of the, what do they call them? They call them heathens, I guess. The Christians call them heathens. He was raised as a heathen. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of adopted their, you know, their mythology uh, and everything. But he still identifies with his home roots. So he's constantly, like, switching ba- sides back and mm-hmm. forth. But they do it in such a way that it doesn't seem like he's just a wishy-washy traitor. He's like, he has logic and reasoning behind everything he does. And, and both sides like him to a degree, and then both sides hate him to a degree. Right. He's just a great. Uh, it's a great series. I'd recommend it. And the combat is just really good uh, for that time period. So I think this show is really uh, good a representation of 
good story mm-hmm. settings. And um, I noticed this with like Red Dead Redemption um, and both one and two. Uh, Skyrim also had this type of thing. And the setting is one in which there is a transition from kind of old society into yes. more modern or newer society, right? And, and maybe not new in terms of um, technology or even time, but it could be like another culture is trying to implant itself into an old culture yeah. or something. And so there's this sort of conflict of beliefs that the people have, right? Um, the Witcher the Witcher 3 was good with this because you had a, an empire coming in and conquering some of the old kingdoms, mm-hmm. right? And so you, you have uh, conflict, which is key for storytelling, right? Um, and you have conflict at the individual level, at the, you know, kind of and systemic level as well so that really helps fuel a lot of great opportunities to um have intrigue and have you know um tough decisions tough i think tough decisions a lot of in tough stories decisions. are what helps us relate to the characters the most because you because yeah, you end up asking yourself what am I, what would i do in that in that situation right you and know? Uh, you know it's really good material if you you know i remember years ago when i was uh, a game master for this the uh serenity rpg which was the first firefly rpg system that came out built on the cortex system okay um one of the main things inside that the writer said was hey, if you want a really good idea for um a campaign in this setting go watch a western Right. And so I you know, I was like, All right. So I watched the Western. I watched the Red Headed Stranger with Willie Nelson. Uh, Nelson? <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Dude, it's a good it's a good show. But yeah. uh, I watched that show. I based the entire campaign off of that show. Oh, off nice. of that movie. And dude, it was a bl- well the first the first arc. Yeah. And it was a blast. And I yeah. say this the last kingdom, man, there's a lot of good content in there if you're looking for ideas on, you know, hard decisions. Yep. Um, that are not just black and white. They're gray area decisions that the world around you will treat as black and white. Yeah. But you know they're not. The other thing I like about that show, and then we can move on, is that um, the writers of it do a good job of not letting you know, like, which side is ac- actually has, like, support of the, the you know, the religious. the re- Like, what, is there really a Christian god? Or are there right. really, like, is, are there really the mythos gods? It's almost it, agnostic. It's hard sense. to, t- yeah, because there are like little things that happen here and there, and you're like, wait, does that mean the show says that the Christian God's right? But but then there'll be something else. You're like, wait, does, does that mean that there there really is no Christian God and there it's the heathen gods? Let's like, they don't really let you on on. They don't really pay attention to the religious side beyond the fact that that's a driving motivation for the people. Which is, you know, I appreciate because it's very historically accurate. You know, yeah. in terms of like that religious driver. Yep. Um, you know, with Alfred the Great saying, mm-hmm. you know, I want to unite these lands under a Christian kingdom, you know, Christian lands. And yeah. um, and what's interesting is, you know, and I, and I think this is the line that they're walking that's really good, is that they'll say, you know, we prayed to our God mm-hmm. and he will favor us. And then they go out and they win and they're like, see? But, yeah, then, something see? Will, huh? but then something will happen and you're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, right. yeah, no, it's good. It, it, it's really good. That's good. So the last two things I guess I'd focus on is um, uh, Elite Dangerous. I decided okay. to boot that back up. The recent update, a uh, couple weeks now. 
brought fleet carriers out of the beta and into the mainstream patch. Have you uh, the, been able to interact with some? I have. Um, okay. It's pretty cool so far. It's what you would expect, you know, when you're interacting with someone else's fleet carrier. It's just in a random place in space, and just like any other celestial body, you can select it and you can uh, you can fly to it and then drop out of hyper or subspace, whatever. And um, it's just like a, a mini station or an outpost. It's like an outpost, okay. so you can select okay. it. You can request docking. It's really cool. It has an automated robotic voice. Like if you've ever been to any of the engineers, a lot of the engineer bases have like robotic voices versus man, like they're unmanned uh, stations. Right, right. Um, so the robotic voice, you know, gives you instructions, the docking pad, and then based on whatever the player who owns that fleet carrier has set up in its configuration is what's ava- what services are available when you dock. Like can you refuel... Um, can you uh are there like can you re resupply your mining tools or your munitions right can you sell like there are certain things that that fleet carrier owner can say i want to buy this mineral and this is the price i will buy it for and so if you have that mineral like if you're a miner then you can you can go to that fleet carrier and you can sell it to that guy and obviously they're going to undercut um so it gives you the benefit if you want to, if you're okay selling something a little bit cheaper, you don't have to fly as far away to find a market. You can just go there. And then later on, they'll take their fleet carrier and go somewhere like way out and they can sell it for a higher price. But yeah. I tell you what's interesting is there is, you know, um, I, I'd like to do mining. I was doing mining recently. And, uh, you know, I use one thing about Elite Dangerous, like a lot of those space online games, is there's a lot of metadata in the community. Yeah. And there are a couple of websites I use to kind of find the good mining locations. And so when I found, you know, I find this hotspot to go mine in this ring on this one system, on this planet, on this one system. I go there and the first thing I notice when I jump into the system is there's like 20 plus fleet carriers <laughs> all in the system. And they all the fleet carriers have names like sell your pay night here for 400 K. <laughs> like that's the name of the fleet carrier. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Dude, they've turned into walking billboards. Yep. Or like, you know, flying billboards. Totally. That's fantastic. Totally. But it was fun. It was cool. Uh, still able to make some money like I would expect. So I know they've adjusted some of the mining rates. But uh I'm at a fleet carrier, what it costs like five billion or something? Yeah. I'm at two point one billion, so I'm I'm gonna toy with the game for a little bit to see if I can kind of keep my income rate up to see if it's worth it. Um, I think I think looking at the fact that there were like 20 plus fleet carriers in that mm-hmm. system kind of makes me think. Eh, I don't know if I could actually make a ton of money if I had a fleet carrier. Right. Because there's so many people that have fleet carriers now. And they're all fighting for the same resources. Yeah, but I think it would still just be fun to yeah. have. To have, because here's the thing, dude. You, if you found a place where you could mine, you yeah. could you could drop your fleet carrier in system, and you could mine in system and just fill your fleet carrier up, right. and then you know jump 500 light years, which is a great, pretty giant distance. Jump 500 light years yeah. way out and sell all that for a lot of money. So I think that's how it would probably make a lot of the money, which like all things in these kinds of games means you have to invest a lot upfront. Uh, right. in order to do that right. but anyways that was my geek week geek week had a lot of fun nice nice by you um well okay i'll start with my adventures on the xbox right yeah um so i just got done earlier tonight playing some minecraft dungeons with the kids um oh yeah tried, that was recent right yeah it dropped end of may so it's been out for probably about about a month uh, yeah four weeks Almost. now yeah about four weeks now 
Uh, have you tried it yet? No, I have not. So it is Diablo light and heavy on the light, right? Mm, okay. um, it's super basic, and I think they obviously made it this way that a 10-year-old could pick it up mm-hmm. and play this no problem. I saw an article out there saying that it was too basic for a lot of people. I can understand that if I'm like a 20-year-old dude, but with me playing with my two kids, I th- yeah. I mean, we're having a blast playing it. You know what I mean? And it's really, it's not that difficult. Um, it's easy to just kind of burn through it and, and have a lot of fun. And, I mean, the upgrades are really simple and easy to do, um, you know. So, and there's only a certain amount of combos that you can get. So, um, one thing that, you know, I, I wish that they may have... Um, sort of explored a little bit more is um, your character can be anything. So it can go from being a ranged character and then if you get a really good drop of a sword, all of a sudden you're a melee character. You know, um, I guess if you really wanted to, you could try to, you know, start parsing out armor that would help you do more range versus more melee. This is not stat-based? This is just equipment-based? It's just, it's all equipment-based. All equipment-based, right? And so, um... It doesn't really incentivize you to play one build or another. You just yeah. kind of put the best stuff you that you have and then go for it, you know? Hmm, interesting. So my That's daughter seriously does, light. Yeah, it's super light. And so my daughter really loves playing ranged characters, so she's always looking for a better, like, the better bow, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But other than that, like, I mean, that's it's the deepest amount. It's fun, though. I mean, I think we're going to get through the campaigns and then be like, okay, that was fun. And that was about it. So we haven't the like, games pass. You know, we got it sort of for free when it dropped. And yeah. um, I'm telling you, you could play it with your, you know, your younger kids too, and they would have fun. Yeah, my so. younger kids are not allowed to play anything Minecraft because they have uh, their Minecraft oh. addicts. Yeah, Minecraft. We've actually we've actually banned them from Minecraft for a little while uh, until the uh, until they can take it down a notch. I hear you. So now they're on Roblox. Back to Roblox. Uh, Which is just another form of... It's it's heroin versus PCP, right? I know. It's like, what do I do? Do I just... Do I say, you know what? You're not allowed to touch the computer. But then I'm like, man, when I was their age, all I want to do is play the NES. Like, just got to real... Just got to lighten up a bit. So we let them play something. That's good. It's fine. But they're taking a break from Minecraft. Especially in this Rona time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. So continue with the Xbox. I gave up on Watch Dogs 2. I really um, tried it. Yeah. It was terrible. It was I was waiting really for bad. you. You didn't sound like you were really into it last time we were talking. Oh my about gosh. It. And 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 I'm like, okay, well maybe I played it when I was tired. Maybe I played it when I wasn't like mm-hmm. totally into it. it. The story is just it's just junk. Um, you know, like I <laughs> it's I hot nothing. garbage. It's hot garbage. We talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hot garbage. Um, I just it it's it wants to be GTA without putting any of the effort of what made gta good gta you know what i mean hmm. so um they just did these weird missions that you can then ride around on motorcycles or cars and you know try to run away from police and you know it's got the little gimmick of being able to hack things as you go which gets super old after about five minutes you know it's funny my favorite gta game of all time is vice city Right, it's just, I'm dude. I would I would boot that game up and just get in the car and drive around for like an hour doing and nothing. listen to the music and just listen right? to the music. It's all yeah. good. Oh, and do the drive-by shootings with the Uzi, right? <laughs> 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 I remember when I discovered that you could do that on accident by clicking on a thumbstick. I was like, oh my gosh. 
This game just got better. As I mowed <laughs> down some civilian on the street. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, and that's the way you figure it out, right? You yeah. end up like, you're passing a busy street, you end up mowing down some civilians. Yeah. Like, that was awesome. Yeah. I didn't wait. know I had that. Yeah. I didn't know I had that in me. Yeah. I will say, one of the mechanics that I do like about uh, Watch Dogs 2 is that um, if you end up like, like let's say I'm, I'm driving my car and I end up crashing into somebody and they call the cops on me. You can do a couple of things. You can interrupt their phone. You can kind of like blow up their phone in their hand, you know. Or my favorite is is that I call the cops on them. <laughs> That's cool. And so the cops show up as they're like trying to make this nine one one call, and it's like you know suspected in a in a homicide, you know. So they come and take down the person, and you just look at them like, "Bye, Karen." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know, so, yeah, that's pretty funny. But I'm pretty much done with that. One game I did end up pick, picking up and playing um, was The Witcher Thronebreaker. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. It's kind of a, it's an interesting game. It's a, It's got a top-down element to it where you just kind of go around and looking for loot that's on the ground, and you end up picking up gold and wood, and you end up recruiting people. And it, it's basically the story of The Witcher that um, takes place um, during the first Nilfgaardian invasion, um, like, well before the events of Witcher 3 and Witcher 2, hmm. right? And even Witcher 1. I mean, that's like, you know, it's like 50 years before that type of thing. And it's about the fall of Rivia and Lyria, which is where Geralt of Rivia is from, mm-hmm. right? And um, anyway, so... It's a good, it's a good story. Uh, it's a great story, actually. Um, but it there's not much gameplay to it. It's, it's sort of cel shaded. You like the Borderlands yeah, style? Yeah, I'm looking at it know? right now. Yeah. And um, you just kind of run around on a map, and then you end up getting into these combat scenarios, and you play Gwent. Which, if you've played The Witcher, you know what Gwent is. It's the card game that you play in there, and those are sort of how you resolve your battles. So if you enjoyed Gwent. In The Witcher, which I did. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, if you enjoyed Gwent, then you would love this game because it's a lot of kind of puzzles with it and challenges and, you know, fun, pretty fun thing. So mm-hmm. it's a nice little time suck. I enjoyed it. Cool. Uh, last couple things. Painting, painting, more painting. I've just been trying to really bang out my, uh, my army, and there's a reason why that we'll get to in the news, but... Um, just been painting away, and then I also, uh, within the last week, finished Battlestar Galactica. So, it's all done. I finished oh, it all. Freaking time. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. What'd you think of the ending? Um, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good ending. I thought it wrapped up things nicely. I think, uh, um, you know, there's a couple surprises in the in the end episode. Mm-hmm. You know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're like, oh wow, okay. There's something a little bit more to this than what we thought, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. You know, the the main message that we took away there is that Elon Musk is right. AI is a danger to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> or we are to it, one way or the other. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. since since technically in our you know. They say that it repeats itself all the time, right? That's the thing. Right. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Since we have not developed AI at this point, it is a threat to us since, you know, 
we are developing it. True. Yeah, assuming it's not already here. That's right. Oh, that's a good point. There could be silence all mocking us. Yeah, they could just be out there waiting like, are they going to get off the planet? Come on. So on one of my my previous jobs, we had this supervisor who would come back to us, right, because we kind of worked in a bullpen cubicle area. Uh And he worked up in like a little office space that was sort of at the end of the cubes and down the hall a little bit, right? And he would come every morning out to sort of quote-unquote check in on us. But it was the most robotic thing ever. He was always there at like 9.03 a.m., Right? Like, it's almost like a little alarm on his desk went off at 9 and been like, oops, time to go check on the troops, you know? And he'd get up and walk down and, and go down. And then, I mean, it was like the same questions every day, you know? And it was just, it, he was just doing this out of habit, you know? Like, he mm-hmm. didn't really, he didn't really care about what we said, you know? He was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, you should probably raise that up the flagpole. Anyway, all, all sorts of stuff like that. But, um,. We ended up calling him a Cylon. <laughs> we just kind of referred to him as the Cylon supervisor, you know, because he he walked among us, talked talked like us, walked among but, us. I love it. Yep. But you know, he was uh, the Cylon supervisor. So yeah, yeah, good times from Justin's work history. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, I like how the Cylons at the end of uh, Battlestar Galacta, that like a couple of them just like gave up. They were like, "Oh, frack this," and then just put a gun in their mouth and pulled it. <laughs> right. They were like, "You know what? This just just it's all stupid. It's we're just done. we're done. We're, we're done. done." Yeah. Um, I there might be an episode uh, on the podcast that we can do talking about Battlestar Galactica and sort of its influences on sci-fi and. Maybe even in gaming. I mean, there's a Battlestar Galactica yeah. game there. Well, so now you got to go watch the original series. Oh, my gosh. I'm not going to do it. No? Okay. <laughs> and then got to watch the Black Hole and all those time period. Buck Rogers. Right, right. Yeah, all that fun stuff. So this is probably going to get me in trouble with a lot of people who listen on to oh this boy. podcast. But um, I, I went back to try to watch a lot of the original Star Trek stuff. I struggle with Careful. it, man. Careful. I struggled. I struggled. Careful. I struggled Don't go there. With it. I know. Don't go there. There's, listen, there's some totally iconic episodes, but oh, I struggled. It's hard, with man. It's I, I'm not gonna lie. It's hard. I watched one the other day, um, and it took me two two viewings to get through it. Um, I could. Was it just, the original or was it like one of the original? Okay. Uh, one of the and it was in uh, the one of uh, the first season. I can't remember which one it was, but I think I think it's an issue of pacing. Do you know what I mean? I think that where our modern pacing and writing has gotten to a point where you can get into a story and tell it in 40, 42 minutes exactly mm-hmm. is what it is because of commercial breaks. You know what I mean? So you get in, bam, hit it hard. You've got your certain arc. At this point, you should be doing the you know the um, uh, the climax, and at this point, you should be doing the resolution. You know what I mean? Um, and they got it kind of in formulas in some of our in some of our shows that gets the pacing right and i think that in the 60s some of the pacing struggled it's the evolution of storytelling it is um and story and storytelling in a science fiction uh thing too in a 22 minute i think weren't those those original episodes only an effective 22 minutes did i get that wrong uh i thought they were longer than that weren't they an hour show 20 to 40 minutes of uh of of that and you know, it's interesting. I actually had just pulled out a book, one of my old books. Um, I'm going to get it wrong again. 
I'm typing it right now as I speak, and I'm totally going to get it wrong. Anyways, uh, so there was a book, Armageddon. It's like 2498 or 2948, an old book um, yeah. written in like the 20s, 1928. I guess it was, yeah, it was probably 1928, I think, is when it was written. And so he had put it like 500 years in the future. Uh, so I think it was 24, Armageddon 2498, or 2428, something like that. Anyways, uh, this book was written before any Star Trek episodes, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, and they have in that book um, the, like, the Star Trek communicators are described almost perfectly as they're used in the Star Trek uh, TV series and stuff. And Wait it's a just, minute. Didn't you tell me about this on our yeah, podcast? Yeah, we did at, an, okay, at, okay. at our most recent podcast, yeah. Okay, okay. And I guess what's interesting is that I just pulled the – actually, this past week, um, I pulled that off of the shelf and I was reading it again and just remind – because of what we had talked about and because I had tried to watch the Star Trek episode. Um, and it just reminded me that, you know, hey, they were still trying to figure out yeah. how, do we, how do we cram all of this science fiction – into you know a short time period tell a story from start to finish and we don't have a lot of money because they didn't have a big budget no um yeah not at all and um and uh and also not go super hard science fiction because we want to try to capture a wider viewer audience yeah so i think they were just doing the best they could at the time is what i'm getting at yeah uh, and they were doing it. They they had influences, and oh my gosh, they made so many influences moving forward. Right. But some of those oh, things, 100%. it's good just to say, hey, they did a great job. They've done a lot for us, and then just kind of put them on the shelf and say thank you very much, and so not, when, not open them back up. Right. Right. And one of the things that I loved about Battlestar Galactica, the, the new one, right, is that they did a great job in some very personal, down to earth story arcs. Right, like you really were invested with the characters by the time the show was done, like mm-hmm. super invested in the characters, um, and that kind of leads us into what our topic of the night is, which is kind of the macro versus the micro, mm-hmm. um, and in gaming and storytelling and mostly, I mean, in RPGs in specific is what we're going to talk about tonight. But how do you game in the macro? Versus the micro. So, um, what is what? Let's give some definitions so that people know what we're talking about. When I say gaming in the macro, what are you what are you thinking? I think there? of stuff like um, uh, I think of stuff like uh, large scale uh, battle strategy games, like okay. war gaming, like um, historical historical war gaming, okay. where you're not controlling individual people. Yeah. You're controlling like battalions. So one little chit on or chip, however you want to say it, on the actual map is actually represents like you know a battalion. So like an Axis and Allies would yeah. be yeah that's a, a very that's, macro mm-hmm. right because I mean you're playing at world level. Exactly world level. There you go. That's a good way yeah. to say it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, world level is when I think of when I think macro. So if you and and I think that that is easy to understand from a board game perspective, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm gaming here at the macro. You know, obviously when I'm playing Risk or Axis and Allies, I can't be moving around. You know, a hundred thousand guys on a map. Um, you know, I need to move this these ten guys that each represent you yep. know ten thousand right. people mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So that's totally totally understandable. What about in RPGs though? 
gaming in a macro? Like, what does that what does that look like? Well, I think it's very much. I think obviously we could share different opinions, but I think it can very much be the same. Um, <clears throat> if uh, and we had a good example of this in a recent campaign we did, uh-huh. where you've got a maybe it's not you know an entire world scale. Um, in fact, ours was just kind of on a maybe even maybe even smaller than a continent scale. Yeah, it was one uh, of the cities. Well, it was a little bit bigger than the city. Yeah, right? I was going to say city, but I think it was a little bit bigger. Regional scale. You could say regional. Regional. There you go. Yeah. Where, <clears throat> let's say you have a siege or an invading force yeah. in an area and you're trying to protect a city. Like, you're not just trying to protect yourselves inside a building from the, you know, the monsters that are trying to get in right. or whatever. You're trying to protect the entire city walls from something going down. And you're doing yeah. it by controlling, making decisions with controlling forces or resources that are at the scale at a city yeah. scale yeah and that's I an think, example I, guess. I, I think i think that's a good example right is that your you is in your party are sitting in a command post somewhere mm-hmm. yeah making decisions that's affecting a global event or a universal event or something right i mean it's something much bigger than just you yourselves and you are you're you're almost extrapolating your own experience to saying like okay we're looking at a hollow map of this table and we're moving pieces around or we're making decisions that's going to affect that and i think that that's really the way that you play macro things right is that mm-hmm. if you're sitting around the table you have to pretend that you're sitting in a command bunker making decisions right because that's kind of you, you're taking the role of a general or a president or a governor or something like that that um is you know that executive level uh you're not the ones that are actually out on the ground doing the fighting type of thing and that's that's kind of macro macro level right so then how would you how would you describe micro micro to me is um uh it's at the it's at the personal level the human level right Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) What you're looking for at the micro level when you're gaming is who said something. Like, what was the dialogue that happened there? What were the choices that individuals made in that moment that affected the scenario that you guys are working on? Right? And it's really about the individuals. And one thing that I want to talk about real quick um, is you and I and, and some of our other friends are playing a game called Microscope right now. Right, um, and Microscope is a game. It's a world-building game, mm-hmm. and you and I think that there's a whole separate podcast that you and I should probably do yeah. that's on mm-hmm. Microscope, right? But just as a gist, you're you're world-building, and there's some certain rules in there. And when you go to make an entry to build this world concept, you can do it at a period level. So, like an example would be World War Two, is a period right that's kind of the macro level that i'm talking about right so when you talk about world war ii um you're talking about well the japanese moved ships from here to here and the americans moved troops from here to here you know and 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 you're talking you know all about you know grandiose large formation movement type things and that's what that's kind of like what the um uh, microscope does at the period level right but then you can get down to an event level that's a little bit more specific so if i were to use world war ii again like the battle of bastone and its description is sort of an event that happened 
and I think that we can talk about event, you know, so there's kind of a layer between macro and micro in mm-hmm. RPGs oh, yeah. mm-hmm. that we can talk about a little bit. So there's like an event level, and then there, and then in, in Microscope, the game, there's a scene level, and that's where I think um, the, dialogue. the micro, that's where the dialogue happens. That's where yeah. like, okay, so if I'm using the World War II example again, it's, you know, Easy Company was holding down a position here and were attacked by the Germans and um, what did they say? What did they do? What did that sergeant do? What did that captain do? You know, like, who rallied? Who um, who had to, like, you know, who was injured? It's all very human-driven stories at the micro level. Right, yeah. And um, it's, yes, human-driven. I think whatever happens has a direct Every decision has a direct, immediate impact on you as a character when you're playing the game. Right. Um, it's very personal, right? Yeah, very be personal. personal. It has yeah. to be. And like you said, you made a good point that you know there there can be a blurry zone between macro and micro. As mm-hmm. let me just give a contrived example, okay. just right off the cuff. Right. Let's say that you're sitting in a command post, but you're not moving armies. Maybe you're making. Um, maybe you're may- making economic decisions to try to, you know, screw with uh, or undermine like a trade that's happening right there. Yeah. And, and you're, you know, you're making decisions that affect different quadrants of a city, of a, yep. the financial districts in a city. But as you're making those decisions, you're role playing at the table, you're role playing at the table engagement with the, the, the overall, you know, financial powers and those individual quadrants. So in that in that case, you're actually the outcome of your role play will affect the city at a large, but you're having an, a direct interaction with someone across a table, so that it, it's come down to like a personal level. So you can have yeah. you can have macro results with a micro interactions yeah. um, in RPGs. I think where it gets difficult is when you don't have that zone that blurs them. And you're just operating like at a macro level, right. and I think where it gets difficult is when I and th- I'll give an example, you know that that we kind of talked about before, when we were reinforcing the walls of the city, we so, had so a hold sli- on hold on just, just just back up okay yeah we last uh, two weekend a week and a half ago we played a rogue trader session, and in that session the city that the players were in yeah. they had agreed to help defend the city. And it was under siege from a bunch of orcs, right? And so that's that's sort of the background of where Jason's coming from on your story that you're about to tell. Sorry, I don't want to put yeah, that out no, there. No, that, so that's fine, yeah. So the good audience knew what we were talking about. Um, so uh, we had, and what's great about this is that we had had some interactions. We went to like a, what did we go to, like a gala or something? Yeah, gala, yep. And we, we had a whole bunch of role play interactions at an individual level with the people who controlled the different um the different uh groups or battalions if you would or basically forces that yeah. we could use to try to there's and, some law enforcement forces yeah there some imperial forces that were coming down from spaceships there was um land-based troops yeah right yeah so it was really cool we had these several different types of people that we had to interact with and, and people who we interacted with positively uh, we were able to get access to their troops to kind of set up our defenses and, and strateg- strategically or use our strategy to defend the city. Those who yeah. we didn't uh, have positive interactions with, we had no control over what they did to uh, to do it. And so yeah. it sounds really cool. 
Um, and afterwards, kind of talking with you about it, I think one of the things we we identified was the problem was is that you know yeah sure we said all right we've got you know something something company A something company yeah. B. Yeah, there's a Highland Company A, Highland Company B. Yeah. Yeah. And after we, you know, we deployed those on the wall and then some time went by and then we got the results of the of the first siege. It's like, you know, Company A was, you know, destroyed. Yeah. And the problem is, is we had no personal connect. Like I I had no personal connection with anyone inside that company. My character didn't. Yeah. So the fact that like an entire unit was just demolished, uh, my character was like, yeah, okay. Because yeah. I had I knew no one from it, right? And counter that with um, to give a little more background or a little bit more of what happened, right? One of the people we had not interacted positively with, so we had not had access to their troops. Uh, what was his name? General Dante. General Dante. Yeah, he kind of did his own thing, and yeah. it went sour. And we don't need to get into all of it, but it went sour to the point of where. Um, our captain, our lovely captain, decided that he needed to pay for his quote crimes. <laughs> right. And uh, and after well, the first, yeah, I mean, so he was relieved of command <laughs> because right. he deployed the troops, and it was a terrible deployment. Yep. Right. Let orcs into the city, and so he was relieved of command. And you guys took over. He tried to stage a quick coup, but yeah. you guys thwarted it. We thwarted and, the coup, yeah. And then captured the general, right? Yeah, so we captured the general, and then uh, basically there's a lot there, but we'll just say we took him into a back alley, and he was given a, uh, uh inconsequential court-martial execution yes. <laughs> in the back alley. And I told yeah. you afterwards, I said, you know what? I will probably not remember sending companies of troops to their deaths on the city right. wall, but I am going to remember taking a general into a back alley and executing him. And let Which, me say this. I'm yeah. going to remember allowing my captain to take him into a back right. alley and execute right. him. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. because that was that was at a personal interaction with my character at a micro yeah. level. Yeah. Which you would think like, oh, man, like literally thousands of people just died. Yeah. Right. And that should mean Versus something. One. But it didn't. It really didn't. And, and you know, the interesting thing in, a, in an RPG, when you're gaming at the macro level... It be it in my opinion, it ends up becoming a mini game within the RPG. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And that is exactly what happened with ours, right? There was a specific set of mechanics that you guys had to do, like the 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 defenses were sort of set up and you needed to like quote unquote make inspections or do some tech things that like would mm-hmm. allow you to determine what the strength is and what the potential strength of the orcs coming. So I could tell you basically like well, this looks pretty under def- under defended right here. You know, you may want to bolster troops. Or, wow, this looks like you guys have plenty of guys got it covered over here. You could probably move troops from here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of played this guessing game, mini game with me. And I think the mechanics were a little wonky, which sort of helped separate you from caring that much about who you were assigning. Maybe, you yeah. know, I think there was part of that. Um, I will say this though. You guys had your own, I mean, you're from a rogue trader house, right? You had your own house troops that um, Riddick, our friend Nick's character, trained. He trained these guys while you guys were traveling, mm-hmm. right? And you guys were so protective of those troops Yep. yep. over everyone else. And rightfully so. I mean, they're your troops, right? Um, but you also had some background with them. 
Um, I will say too. So so basically, the macro level was you guys said, okay, well, um, this wall looks like it needs some extra defenses. We're going to move, you know, right. company alpha from here to here, that one there, and you just basically shuffled things around. And then later on, I told you like, okay, well, these guys died or these guys defended well mm-hmm. or whatever it was, you know. Um, that was macro level. I think at that mid level that we're talking about, and this was interesting because this wasn't in the mechanics of the situation that we're running. And full disclosure for our listeners, I'm running a pre-canned supplement from Rogue Trader. So I'm kind of working with the mechanics that are in this advent- pre-written adventure um, it just so that we could sort of try out the system and all that. Um, so it was it was an interesting experiment, I think. But um, one of the things that happened is that I would say, okay, so here's your troops, here's this. And one of our characters says, I want to go make sure that um, these guys are defending that area over there. And if not, I want to help them build some defenses over the next day or so to do that, right? Um, remember Riddick saying that he wanted to create mm-hmm. like yep. that sort of that, that maze, that labyrinth area, right? And... Instead of me saying, no, that's not how the mechanics work, <laughs> you know what I mean? I said, yeah, dude, go ahead, roll for it, you know, like, hell, hell, let's see how well you build those defenses type of thing. And he ended up rolling pretty well, and so I ended up boosting up the defenses in the macro game, because that's what he was trying to do. Um, yeah. One of our other guys wanted to build some bombs and plant them strategically around, right? And so... Um, quickly, what's interesting is I gave you guys a macro game to play, but you inst- almost instinctively knew to take it down a level, at least, right? Because it wasn't going to be fun if we're just moving guys yeah, around. Yeah, right. And yeah. so you're like, well, I want to role play. I want to, I want to, I want to plant bombs. I want to, I want to, you know, inspect the troops. I want to do this. And so, you know, I want to give a rousing speech. I want to do kind of these other things. And, and, um, I, I mean, in the moment I was like, okay, well, this is not, gonna help at all but then i realized you know what i can make it help right you know what and, I mean? I can, and a good um remember we're all together playing games yeah. to have fun right right and it you don't come to a table to play a game to find out that you can't do everything you're trying to do you come to try to you know explore and yep. and try new things and um one of the things that i like about you know your approach there was you said hey all right cool let's try something new let's let's see what it can do and as a GM, just to give it, you know, some advice, you, you should never really directly say no to a player if they want to do something. Right. They say, I want to try this. You say, no, you can't do that. That's a horrible response from a GM. <laughs> yeah. The right answer is, if, if you as a GM say that's not really technically feasible, the right answer is to give them an adjustment to what they're trying to do. Like, yeah. I, want to take this, uh, I want to take this tree branch and I want to pole vault over the chasm. You know, it's like, well, you know, the tree branch is probably not strong enough, but what you probably could do is you get, you know, as you kind of look at the chasm, you, you know, then you give them an opportunity to see something, you know, then you look down, you're getting ready to kind of judge the distance. Right. You realize, oh, look, there's a little ledge down there. Maybe I could do some climbing and, and blah, 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 blah. Right. You got to yeah. never say no to them, but give them an opportunity to find another way to accomplish what they're trying to do. That's yeah. more reasonable in your system. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I tell you, if you say no to a player, and then you say no again in the same session. It's I mean, it's I have seen it's players just killer. be like, all right, I'm done, and they just put their hands up and they never contribute for the rest of the session yeah. because they're yeah. like, everything I do is going to go away. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so obviously, I think I think we've sort of figured out that you know, with the macro versus the micro, um, 
the macro is a little tough to be engaging with a player, right? It is, and it's important to engage with a player. That's the whole point of RPGs, yeah. is to engage with players at, a, at an individual yeah. character level. Because when you're playing Axis and Allies, you're not really engaging at the player level. You know, And you right? know what you're playing when you sit you, down to play it. You're you getting ready you're to, to play a 10-hour day game. Yeah, at least. <laughs> right, and, at least. And there's, there's rules that help govern the playability right. of that macro thing, right? Yep. In an RPG... There's generally, I mean, I was given sort of a quick set of rules, and you know, for this for this scenario, and it, I mean, I had to almost create these tables of spreadsheets that were not really easy to manipulate, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a lot of work for not a lot of payoff. To be I like what you, you said when you called it a mini game. It's yeah, it's more a mini game that uh, is really just a diversion from the story from the storytelling of the individual progression of the characters so i have another sort of uh cautionary tale of a gm that i'd like to share with you um you were there so you know it already but um this was (laughs) this is when we're playing our shadow of the demon lord campaign right um you guys had inherited a keep remember oh yeah uh uh-huh uh, what was it called again? The Blood Moon Keep. We, well, we named it after uh, one Seer. of our compatriots. Cole. Cole yeah, that Seer. died. Seer Keep. Seer Keep. Yeah. So you rena- it was the Blood Moon Keep, and yeah. then you guys ended up uh, renaming it Seer Keep. Because and because he sacrificed himself so that we could all live. I think. That's right. That yeah. was a pretty epic session. Anyway, pretty awesome. there's 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 a great example of the micro, right? I'm yeah. There you micro. go. So you guys inherited this keep. And I wanted to toy around with the idea of sort of world building within the RPG, right? Like, what would it be like to build up a settlement and sort of your own keep, you know? And, like, mm-hmm. what kind of benefits could that do? And I came up with all sorts of tables and uh, things that you could buy and money, you know, and things things that would cost. And sort of taking some of the Shadow of the Demon Lord rules and adapting them and, and kind of saying, like, okay, well, at this point you can... You know, almost like a progression skill tree that you could like. You know, once you get um, a healer's hut, then you can get like an apothecary, and then you know what I mean. And there's all sorts of things that you could like level up week after week, type of thing. And um, it that ended up becoming a mini game in itself, right? And it was interesting because I think you and Justin, who was playing with us, different Justin, um, you guys were like what do we do like what is like kind of like what is this you know and like mm-hmm. this is nice benefits and everything like that but um i remember you asking at one point like what kind of game are we playing here is this a role-playing <laughs> game or is this a mini game yeah. you know um yeah meanwhile uh jason or not jason um john jim. and jim were totally into it yeah both of them were totally into it which is interesting because that some players would love a macro level style element to an rpg you know and i can i i personally love that idea too i do i like the idea of being able to kind of say like okay my character has gained renown and influence in the world that they are now like affecting the broader world than just whatever little adventure they're on you know they're doing bigger things so i like that idea of being able to control that my cautionary tale is don't let it get in the way of the game Right. Right. And you, I think if you are a GM and you want to implement that, you need to be very clear with the players what it is and what it is not. 
right? This is a fun way to do these types of things that can give you maybe some in-game benefits. If you want to participate in it, that is totally up to you. But I think if you approach it as a GM and you come up to them and say, okay, here's this thing. Now you guys have to manage the keep. All right, cool. Have fun. Um, there's some players that are going to be instantly turned off from that. Mm-hmm. Right? They're yeah. like, this feels like I'm doing my taxes. and I don't want to do my taxes. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, it's my second job. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. You know? But some people love it. Some people love those kinds of things. Some people do. Yeah, So, absolutely. you know, I mean, I think gauge your, gauge your group. Gauge exactly what, well, yep. gauge what kind of engagement that they can put in. Because a lot <laughs> of the keep stuff was done in between our sessions. Which, to be fair, we had like month in between sessions. Yeah, we did. We had a lot so of time. So we had, we had a lot of things. And I, and I thought it was a way to sort of still keep connected. You know, but... There were people who were totally into it and some people who were totally not into it. And I think it ended up sort of petering out because it was well, kind of like, well, who, who I think who one really reason it petered it. out is because we got so into the actual uh, story that was unraveling mm-hmm. in the world itself right. around us that we just we didn't really care too much about our key. We didn't really spend time there. Right. We kind of started there, then left every yeah. time we started a new session. So. Yeah, and yep. that's a good example of, you know, what role does this actually play in the story? Yeah. How important of a role is it? Now, one one point, one more point I want to make um, before we sort of wrap this up. But one more point I want to make is that um, don't neglect the macro, though. I think the macro level is an important part of the game, right? Uh, Jason and I did a podcast... Um, back when we were doing Shadow of the Demon Lord and it was kind of um, a a podcast that was setting versus scenario, right? Mm -hmm. Like what's the broad setting of the game? Like what's going on at the macro level that is influencing? And this, this, we sort of talked about that a little bit um, when earlier tonight when we were just talking about, you know, some of these, uh, some of these situations like, you know, the Danes invading Saxon England mm-hmm. is a great environment for a story because it represents conflict, right? But again, that's the macro level. That's the macro right. level, you know, when, when you're talking about Danes moving from Daneland into, you know, southern, southern um, England into Wessex Kingdom or whatever, uh, you know, you're talking about moving people and ships and things like that around. That's the macro level. I think that that serves, especially for RPGs, as a great setting to put things into. And you can always call up to an event or something that's happening within that setting to tie that conflict to kind of, to, you know, tether that conflict back into your story to make it more meaningful. There can be a conflict presented by a macro situation. Right. Uh, and what makes RPGs beautiful, beautiful, maybe not the right word, whatever, that makes them awesome is that the players can contribute to trying to change the macro conflict or affect it at a micro uh, level. The party yeah. goes in and tries to save the world by diving into the dungeon and uh, trying to defeat the evil mage who's trying to open the portal to you know the netherworld. It's you're you're doing you have a macro a macro game. Uh, sorry, you have a ma- uh, micro you have a micro adventure. That yeah. can affect the world at a macro level. Yep. That's that's what's cool. That's the sweet spot, right? Yep. And I think, I mean, this is kind of a cheesy example, but it's it's one that kind of came to my mind. 
almost immediately when talking about this was the Halo Reach video game. Did you ever play Halo Reach? That was, you know, that's the one I have not played at all. Okay. Of them. All right. Um, it's interesting because all the other Halos, right, with the Master Chief, mm-hmm. um, it's a micro level, but he is literally affecting the macro oh, at every turn. Yep. <laughs> right. The only thing affecting the, only the macro. Thing. Exactly. He is the only thing affecting the macro level. Halo Reach was interesting because Halo Reach was the kind of the quote-unquote Pearl Harbor of the UNSC, right? The Covenant appeared out of nowhere, attacked Reach. Yeah, which I read her, the book. Yeah, so it yeah. was their, their major um, major outpost, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And um, the video game was great because you had a, uh, it was Noble, Com- uh, Noble Company, Noble Squad. I can't remember. Anyway, it was Noble Squad, I think. They, um, you know, it was like six guys, six six Spartans, and they were off to investigate something, and boom, what do you know? They find Covenant on there. And as they are trying to kind of operate, the whole world is just ending around them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the more and more that they are trying to, like, a, get good intelligence, or B, try and figure out what's happening, or, or get to certain rendezvous points. Literally, the whole world is on fire, and it is ending around them. And um, instead of it being a real-time strategy ty- type of game where you're you know, commanding fleets, like your noble company right there is doing their thing at their level as best they can to try to save or salvage. It was really just salvage. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever they could off of Reach, you know, uh, the planet Reach, and yep. so I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good, you know, example of like here's this party of, you know, Spartans trying to do what they can at the micro level, even though there's things raging at the macro level that they don't see, mm-hmm. but that are affected by it and are affecting it, right? Um, at the same time. Yeah, good stuff. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, find find those find those things, Tie, tether them together, because I think that you know, uh, I I think that having having elements of the macro within your story is what gives that overall feeling. Of Gets a sense of importance. meaning to what you're doing. Yeah, sense of meaning, exactly. That sense of purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And um, even if you can get stuff at sort of that event level, that guys are affecting maybe some larger things with some of their decisions. And then you get the real role-playing meat of the RPG in there. That's um, you're hitting some very good notes in your yep. RPG. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good talk. Awesome. All right, my man. Thank you so much uh, for for being here tonight. Yeah, it was good times. Thank you everybody for listening. Please hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, send it out to your friends. Let it let all the geeks and geekdom know that uh, our podcast is out there. We'd love more people to to listen to it and give us feedback. We love feedback. So, yes sir. Yep, we will talk to y'all later. All right, take care.